you've got mail. everyone and welcome to the second mailbag episode for Superman and Batman, a podcast where normally each and every episode we look at stories featuring the Man of Steel and the Dark Knight, the two greatest heroes in comics. This time, once again, we are flipping things up and letting the show focus on you, the listener. As I said last time, you folks are the ones that make this show more than one nerd with way too many comic books talking into a microphone. And I'm happy to be able to take some time to read your feedback on the, on the stories and the show and, and to let you have a voice in the show, even though it's my voice voicing your voice. Um, I've tried to reply to most feedback I've gotten, or at least the email stuff, but if anyone has felt slighted that your feedback has been held and not responded to until now... Please don't feel that way. Uh, your comments are very appreciated and, and welcomed. Um, I'm just very neglectful in responding to stuff on the site. Um, and I'm going to work on that. But uh, the good news is I read all of it pretty much as it comes in. Um, I'm, I'm reading it now, and it is appreciated more than I can really spell out in words. Uh, before we get into the feedback, though, I want to give just a brief follow-up from a previous episode and drop in a plug. Uh, back in episode 13, I was joined by Emily of Uncovering the Bronze Age for a look at the very first story featuring the infamous Super Sons. Um, Emily and I had a lot of fun and I got some, some good feedback for the episode that told me that you enjoyed hearing Emily on this show. Well, in that particular episode, Emily promised a follow-up on her show and it took her a little while but Emily's got a lot of irons in the fire. You know, she's got school and work and, and being awesome. And believe me, as someone who is also awesome, I can tell you, it takes a lot of time. But Emily's follow-up to our Super Sense episode is now available for your listening pleasure. So head on over to relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com and check out Episode 4 of Uncovering the Bronze Age, where Emily looks at... Little Town with a Big Secret, from World's Finest Comics, number 216. And that is the second Super Sun story, written, of course, by Bob Haney, with art by Dick Dillon and Murphy Anderson. Uh, not to spoil the episode, but overall, Emily gave it high marks. Uh, possibly even higher marks than we gave the first story. So definitely go over there and check that out. And while you're there... Why not check out some of the other episodes of podcasts on the Relatively Geeky Network? Because they are all definitely worth a listen. I promise. So, getting back to the mailbag, I don't think this show... Well, I know that this show doesn't get the download numbers of some other podcasts. But the feedback I've gotten seems to indicate that you all enjoy listening to the show as much as I enjoy making it which is really great, and it encourages me to keep going. So I've got email feedback, website comments, and some iTunes reviews. Um, unlike last time, where I read them in the order they came in, 
This time, I'm going to group the email and website comments by episode, and then I'll do uh, a general email and the iTunes at the end. Um, some of the website comments, even though they came in at different times, kind of play off each other a little bit, so it, it just makes more sense to me to do it that way. Uh, but first up is a comment from Matthew Cody on episode 4, where I put out a call for help to determine the artist behind the Superman figure in an ad for Superman peanut butter. And Matthew said that he wanted to say it was Ross Andrew who drew the figure with Dick Giordano on inks. And Matthew, I think that that's as good a guess as any. Um, I might be so bold to say as if it isn't Andrew and Giordano, it's someone or someone's doing an intentional impersonation of them. Um, since that episode, I've done a bit more poking around and... Andrew and Giordano were doing a lot of cover collaborations at this point, so you know not only does it make sense that they'd collaborate on the ad, but if you look at the art on those covers, there's a lot of similarities. So unless someone comes up with a better guess or, or proof otherwise, I'm going to go with the assumption that it's Andrew and Giordano. Uh, once again, I am not an art expert by any means, uh, so if anyone else, you know, the ad is posted in the show notes for episode 4 at greatcrypton.com. If you haven't seen it and want to take a guess, just stop on over there and check it out and drop me an email or, or leave a comment at the site. Uh, next up is an email from Sphinx Magoo on episode 14, where I covered the Superman-Batman split from World's Finest Comics number 176 which was a story that I was, well, to be honest, I was pretty harsh on it. And in the last mailbag episode, Earth2Chris wrote in and kind of took me to task for being so hard on it. And, you know, he made some valid points in the process. So let's see what Sphinx had to say. Uh, he writes, Wow, this was a stunner of an episode. Firstly, it was a stunner that a suggestion of mine would get this kind of response. Secondly, it was a stunner of an issue which, made, which really made me think there is truth in the adage, be careful what you wish for. And just to interrupt, Sphinx had made the comment on a previous episode that he would like to see more issues dealing with the, uh, the family heroes, like Supergirl and Batgirl, Robin, etc. And that particular story had it in spades, so <laughs> that's kind of what he's referring to there. Uh, but anyway, back to Sphinx's comment. I listened to the episode while weeding our yard. It was the perfect episode for this chore, and I listened to it three times in the time it took me to finish cleaning out the yard. I had a lot of time to think about the issue presented as I methodically chewed over the metaphorical dish you'd presented me. I made sure I chewed up every bite before I wrote back, so here we go. I think the main thing I came away with from this episode was disappointment. Not disappointment in you, Michael, because you once again crafted an excellent podcast episode. Your podcast releases have been something I really look forward to. Oh, thank you, Sphinx. My disappointment came from the many missed opportunities and misdirections and mishandlings of some of my, some of my favorite comic characters. Once again, Superman and Batman reflect a ridiculous sentiment of, quote, father figure knows best and knows all, unquote, as they humiliate the younger generation with their, quote, superior knowledge and intellect, unquote. I call baloney on them. Based on the stories I've heard about Mort Weisinger, I wonder if he exerted a heavy amount of editorial manipulation to get this message across. 
Instead of a caring depiction of the world's finest team, we get a depiction of them as two jerks who shouldn't be crossed as they get their message across that they're in charge. No wonder DC lost ground to Marvel in the 60s. All I saw were missed opportunities. I mean, we have a team of Jimmy Olsen and Robin. If I recall, this isn't the first time they were together. I mean, who wouldn't sympathize with a couple teenage boys who might commiserate about their overbearing mentors? If Jimmy thought it'd be cool to introduce Robin to the Legion of Superheroes, who would, who would blame him? And if Robin returned the favor by introducing Jimmy to the Teen Titans, so much the better. Jimmy was always being yelled at by Perry White, so Speedy might have had someone to talk with about his mentor. And together, Jimmy and Robin could have figured out Donna Troy's origin that much faster by pooling their reporting and detective skills. And maybe the Titans could have convinced Jimmy to drop the bow tie for something more modern. And once you add Supergirl and Batgirl to the mix, the range of stories increases even more dramatically. See, for me, this story is about the generation gap and about maintaining that illusion that the older generation has it all under control. It's really just kind of sad and makes me wish that it had been better. I mean, the weird dichotomy is further evidenced by the Neil Adams artwork. Neil Adams, who was known for bringing Superman and Batman into the 70s, essentially shows why this kind of Silver Age story just wouldn't work anymore. In a funny way, it was kind of like a mini precursor to The Watchmen, because it held some of, the, some of these old tropes to the light and showed that they weren't really viable anymore. Another sad takeaway is that it gave future generations the idea that Batman could take Superman if he had his kryptonite gloves with him. So, Michael, thank you for this episode. I really enjoyed it, even if I was disappointed in the issue. I still hold out hope that there are some cool Jimmy-slash-Robin-slash-Supergirl-slash-Batgirl stories out there somewhere. Thanks again. And thank you, Sphinx, uh, for the comment. I'm, I'm really glad that your disappointment with the story didn't, you know, stop you from enjoying the episode. Because even when there are bad stories on the show, I, I do still try very hard, uh, maybe even more so, to put together a good episode around that. Um, there are good stories out there involving Jimmy and Supergirl and, and Batgirl and the rest, and we'll get to them eventually, you know, with luck. Um, I will agree with you that it was an issue of missed opportunities. You know, seeing Robin with the Legion or Jimmy hanging out with the Teen Titans would have been awesome. And those are just the vaguest of, of examples of the possibilities when you merge the two worlds of Superman and Batman and all the characters in their own, you know, mini expanded universes, so to speak. Um, addressing another point you made, you know, DC did lose ground to Marvel in the 60s, but I think this also was... Uh, particularly later on in the decade, you know, a time of growing pains for DC. Uh, creators like Neil Adams and Carrie Bates were coming in with new takes and new looks for the characters, ready to push them into the Bronze Age just a few years down the road. But the old guard, like Mort Weisinger, was still very much in control and, and not relinquishing that. And, and, you know, you had Mort Weisinger and... and I'm going to say Kurt Swan, even though he carried on in the, into the Bronze Age, um, but you know they they were still very much in control, and that was just the, the way things were done. And then it took you know people like Denny O'Neill and 
Adams and Bates and, and uh, Elliot S. Magan coming in and, and just doing it different because they were the new guard. Uh, but I'm curious what your take is on the question that Earth 2 Chris posed to me in the last mailbag episode. Um, is the combination of the Bronze Age art with the Silver Age tropes uh, a major factor for you? You know, if, if this had been illustrated by Kurt Swan or even Dick Sprang, would that change your opinion? Um, think about that and write in and let me know because I would really love to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, but speaking of Earth 2 Chris, though, Chris wrote in about episode 15 where Sean Engel and I looked at a Bob Haney story from World's Finest Comics number 220. And Chris wrote, Zany Haney, what can you say? Superman's outburst reminded me of the Brave and the Bold Batman-Joker quote-unquote team-up when Batman, after coming across the aftermath of the Joker's latest murder spree, violently yells he is going to hunt the Joker down and kill him like the dog he is, or something like that. We're still waiting, Bats! The Dylan-Anderson team is a nice combo. Dylan had adopted a more angular, Adams-like style by this point, and it's a nice mix to have Anderson's soft brushwork applied to that as a contrast. Two great tastes that taste great together, and all that. Nice to hear Sean drop by. I'm a fan of his Two True Freaks output, and you two have a nice back and forth going. Another great one, Chris. And thank you, Chris. I've never read that Brave and the Bold uh, team-up between Batman and the Joker, but um, depending on which one it is, because I think there were a couple different ones, uh, I've got a showcase volume on it, so I will get there eventually. Uh, I recently picked up all of the Batman Brave and the Bold showcase volumes. Uh, just you know, reading the Bob Haney stories on this show, uh, even though some of them haven't really been all that great, but just, just you know, just reading the team ups have, have really gotten me into uh, wanting to read more Bob Haney stuff. So I, I picked those up, and one of these days I will, <laughs> I'll actually get around to reading it. Uh, but Matthew Cody chimed in about the same episode, and he wrote, Michael, great show. I'll probably download Sean's Just One of the Guys podcast one day as I've enjoyed his podcastery when I've heard him on the excellent Green Lantern's Light podcast as well as this show. I would like to finish the Green Lantern's Light shows first, though. And Matthew, definitely check out Just One of the Guys. Matthew, it really is an awesome show. Uh, but Matthew's comment com continues, I have World's Finest Comics number 220, so I was able to read it. And this peon got something out of it. I thought the ad on the inside front cover was funny because they were offering a special sample book including Cards for Blacks, which I don't think you would see in a modern comic. I enjoyed both of your commentary on the issue, but thought I would give my theory that Lawyer Molina was not tossed out the window by Carlotta Esteban, aka El Monstro. I think after seeing her crash through the wall, which was awesome, Molina was so terrified that he jumped out the window. And that's an interesting take, Matthew. Um, I went back and looked at the issue again, and I might be inclined to agree with you, except for that after Molina is seen flying out the window, window excuse me, El Monstro says, So much for the rat, now for the jackal. And he throws a chest of drawers at the other guy. And I kind of feel like that line would be pretty different if Molina had jumped. Um, since Sean was on the episode 2, I actually dropped him a line and got his take on it, and he said, I pulled the book and looked at the panels, and while the theory could be right, 
I'd more buy into it if Molina had jumped feet first out the window, thus giving him the possibility of not snapping his neck upon landing. But perhaps the three-legged freak was just so horrifying that he lost all sense of reason and decided to jump out head first. Or maybe he was channeling the Enzo character from Assassin's Creed and hoped there was a wheelbarrow of hay under him that would cushion his fall. But either way, he's probably dead or seriously injured. And that's my take on it. So, I don't know. I, I, I guess it could be read either way, uh, Matthew. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I kind of think that he was thrown out the window uh, because El Monstro, you know, throughout the entire issue was just so uh, bent on revenge against these guys. But, you know, if you want to read it the other way, that's, that's part of the fun of comics. Uh, but Matthew's comment continues. At one point in the show, if I remember correctly, you said Batman and Superman. no. Superman and Batman. I just wanted to be the first person to call you out on your conscious effort to always list or say Superman before Batman. It's okay with me if you let Bat slip out first sometimes. I think all your fans know you prefer Superman. I know preference between the characters can be a polarizing topic amongst fandom, but I for one love both characters. The way I see it, I'm not marrying either one, so I don't have to choose. Both have their merits. When I got married, I didn't list the best man. I had best men. So maybe I'm just a weirdo. Beware the mat man. And thanks for the email, Matthew. And yeah, uh, while I like both characters, I don't really have any personal stake in the, you know, the quote-unquote who's better, Superman or Batman angst. Um, I, I make no attempt to hide which character is my favorite. And in fact, I wear it pretty much on my sleeve uh, or my chest, depending on what shirt I'm wearing. But uh, at, at the same time, though, you know, I've got no animosity against people who lean the other way. Um, I like Batman, too. I mean, obviously, you know, I, I co-hosted a podcast that was just about Batman, and now I'm doing this show, which is about Superman and Batman. Um, it, really, at the end of the day, I, I just kind of wish that we'd all get along better, uh, no matter who your favorite character is, if it's Superman or Batman or Spider-Man or Aunt Petunia. You know, I, I think there is enough room for everyone at the party. Uh, but anyway, I I'll, I'll, hopefully I'll be diving into that subject um, deeper at a later time, so I'll just leave it there for now. But still, thanks again for the comment, Matthew. I really do appreciate it. Next up is another email from Earth to Chris in response to the show's first mailbag episode, where Chris became the first recipient of the show's prestigious and highly coveted Haney Award. And Chris writes... Wow, a Haney Award, a gold bust of a bearded man with the inscription to Earth 2 Chris Aru. Listen forever, miss it never. How appropriate. I need to play the lottery. A Haney Award here and a yellow dot over at the Who's Who podcast in one month. I've peaked for the year. I had no idea I was so prolific in writing, or maybe I'm just annoying. Not sure, but I enjoy the show and will continue to listen and write in even if I'm not up on what day it comes out every week. I really should subscribe via iTunes, but I tend to just go to the web pages of my, my, of my podcasts and download that way. I'm not sure why. It's probably how I missed issue 9. Yes, I somehow missed this gem, and I'm off to listen to it right now. Thanks again for the award and the great show you have here. 
It's a treat to listen to each week, and I'm so glad it's doing so well for you with all the great feedback. Chris. And you know, Chris, I think that Listen Forever, Miss It Never might just be the show's new slogan. Uh, but yes, you should subscribe via iTunes, uh, not to just not just to this show, but to other podcasts you listen to uh, regularly as well, because it's it's really the only way to ensure that you don't miss an episode of of any show that you like. Uh, but thanks again, Chris, and again, congratulations on the award or awards, I guess I should say, because you also won the Yellow Dot Award. Uh, but speaking of things you shouldn't miss, Professor Allen also commented on the episode, saying, Great episode, Michael. And thanks, Professor Allen. I just hope he's not saying that because I read an email from him in the episode. Because it's a proven scientific fact that Professor Allen makes everything better. Just don't say his name three times because he'll appear at your house (sighs) accompanied by Harry Belafonte music. And I just said his name three times, didn't I? Work all night and a drink a rum. Stack banana till the morning come. Tallyman, tally me banana. Daylight come and me one go home. Come, Mr. Tallyman, tally me banana. Daylight come and me one go home. Live six foot, seven foot, eight foot bunch.
Next up is another comment from Earth to Chris. This one on episode 16, The Three Super Musketeers. This is a favorite of mine, and it was for Dex Bryan too. He has gone on record as loving the time travel stories he drew, and he did a fantastic job with all of them. I believe he drew a previous adventure with Batman, Robin, and the Musketeers, but no Superman, in Batman or Detective before this. An iron-masked Superman busting through stone walls is just cool. And I, I definitely agree with that, Chris. If Batman and Robin had ever made it onto the adventures of Superman, this would have been a great episode, because we all know George loved to crash through walls. I had to share the library PSA with my wife, who is a children's librarian. I hope you don't mind, but she posted it on the local library's Facebook page. Thanks for putting it out there. I'm a Brian Adams fan, so I have a soft spot for that All for Love song, even if it is a bit over the top and cheesy. It's sincerely cheesy, so it's okay. That Three Musketeers flick ain't bad, with Tim Curry chewing scenery left and right. Looking forward to your mystery guest and imaginary story spotlight next time. Chris. And you know, Chris, that, that was a really good call uh, on the previous Batman story. Um, I, I wasn't aware of it, but upon more research, I discovered that it was all for one, one for all, from Batman number 32. And that was written by Don Cameron and illustrated, as you said, by Dick Sprang. Uh, and oh my gosh, yes. This would have made an awesome, awesome episode of Adventures of Superman. Especially if Batman and Robin had somehow made their way onto the show. Uh, you know, we were talking about the, the missed opportunities before. And... You know, this came up in an earlier episode, but having Batman and Robin on Adventures of Superman would have been amazing. But, alas, it never happened. Um, as for your other comments, though, you know, it's been a long time since I've seen the Three Musketeers movie. So, I can't really say if it's good or bad, but chewing scenery is kind of what Tim Curry does. So, yeah. It can't be all bad. Um, also glad that your wife got a kick out of the PSA. Hopefully it will actually encourage some kids to put down the video games and, and pick up a book once in a while. So, you know, definitely no problem whatsoever sharing that. Uh, if nothing else, it might, you know, if it brings one new, one new listener to the show or one new reader to comics, then I would say it's done its job. Uh, let's see. Matthew Cody also commented on the episode. And he writes, On Free Comic Book Day, I purchased World's Finest Archives Volumes 1 through 3 for 50% off. That's a really great deal, Matthew. I was excited to get these as I like to read the stories before listening to your episodes, which I always enjoy. I'm too much of a piker to buy the original issues. World's Finest Archives did not reprint the sweet PSA, so thanks for putting it in your show notes. I thought World's Finest Comics number 82 was fun. I was especially impressed when Batman and Robin gathered up short branches while being chased on horseback. While briefly out of view, they then tied said branches to their saddles, placing their hats on the cloaks, or, excuse me, placing their hats and cloaks on the branches. They then jumped into a tree while the pursuing army chased what they thought were two of the musketeers. Wow. That was your shortest proper episode. The excellent Bizarro Michael episode was shorter, but I look at that as bonus content for episode 12. Was that Bizarro Michael's first appearance? 
I was left wanting more, but you did mention Billy Hogan covers it as well. I love the show and just don't want it to end, I guess. And thank you very much, Matthew. Uh, and, and yeah, that episode was a, a few minutes shorter than average, but, you know, some stories just don't prompt as many comments as others, I guess. Uh, but still, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed the episode regardless, and, uh, def- you know, Billy Hogan did cover it, so definitely seek out that episode as well. I, I don't remember what episode of Billy's show that that was, but I, I know that I mentioned it in uh, in the, the episode of this show that covered that story. So, uh, But speaking of Billy Hogan, though, we're going to move on to feedback for episode 17, where Billy stopped by for a look at the show's first and so far only imaginary story, uh, which was Superman and Batman Brothers from World's Finest Comics number 172. And Earth 2 Chris wrote, Hi, Michael. I enjoyed hearing Billy on your show. It was nice to have you two tag team on this tale of brothers. Unfortunately, I have never read this story. I have long known it was regarded as a classic among imaginary tales, but I never ran across it in any form. I think I need to get the imaginary stories trade paperback and remedy this situation, don't you? Even though I haven't read it yet, from your coverage, I can detect the influence of younger writers like Shooter scraping off the stodgy veneer of Silver Age stories bringing more true emotion to the story. The 16-year-old shooter seemed to convey some real pathos on the part of this version of Batman. This was no doubt due to some influence by Marvel, which was starting to make old DC look stale by comparison. A change was in the wind indeed, Chris. And indeed it was, Chris. You know, And this is what I was talking about earlier. Um, Superman and Batman Brothers came out about a year before the Superman-Batman split. But still, Jim Shooter was one of those... And I, I think his influence in this particular regard was less than others, but Shooter was one of those new creators in the mix as DC transitioned into the Bronze Age. So, um, so yeah, you can, you can definitely sense that in this story. Um, and he, you know, you brought up the uh, the emotion and the pathos that he conveyed through Batman in the story. And uh, I, I'm kind of blanking right now on what Billy and I said in the episode itself, but it, there was a lot of emotion conveyed uh, when Batman lost his second set of parents and he was just inconsolable at that point. And, and you really felt um, not just his grief and emotion but Superman's complete helplessness at at being able to fix the problem um, until he came up with the idea of of bringing Batman to the future to hang out with the Legion of Superheroes Uh, but I would definitely look into finding the Imaginary Stories trade Chris Uh, I haven't looked for it because I I own a copy so I haven't looked for it recently but I imagine you can find it on eBay or or Amazon or a used bookseller pretty cheap um, it's got a lot of great stories, including one of my all-time favorite comic book stories. Um, and, and I do mean all-time favorite comic book story, which is Jerry Siegel's The Death of Superman from Superman number 149, which, bringing it back to Billy Hogan, Billy was nice enough to have me on his show a while back to look at that. So, you know, it, it's definitely a trade that I would recommend hunting down. The, the second volume was... To me, a little less interesting, but it, it focused completely on Batman stories for some reason. Um, 
it might have come out the same year as Dark Knight Rises. I don't remember exactly. Uh, but anyway, definitely track down the first volume. And if you can get the second volume really cheap, you know, if you really like imaginary stories, pick that up too. But definitely the, the first volume is highly recommended. Uh, let's see, moving back to comments, Sphinx Magoo also commented on the episode, and he wrote, Greetings! This was a fun episode to listen to. It was great to hear you both discussing this story. One bit of frustration is that, like Chris, I don't have the issue either. Any chance that you could take a page from the Fire and Water podcast and start up a Tumblr account to help highlight interesting panels from the show? I know it means extra work for you, but maybe you could consider it for future episodes. Thanks. And Sphinx, I have thought about posting a few panels from stories, um, not as a Tumblr, but in the show notes like I used to do with The Thrilling Adventures of Superman or like Michael Kaiser and I did with Legends of the Batman. The problem is it is really time-consuming to scan the images and crop and and size them in Photoshop and then post them. Um, And I'm not completely convinced that the value that listeners get from it is is really worth the time it takes. Um, I, I, and I know people would like seeing the panels or interesting pages here and there, but it, it really is uh, an amount of time that I think I would rather use focusing on other parts of the show or, or other uh, podcasting or comic-related endeavors that I do. Um, I, I won't rule it out, but for now, it's probably not something I'm going to do regularly. Um, I'll still keep posting the occasional show notes bonus, though, like the the PSA or other ads I find interesting. And you know, if there's a really awesome panel or page, maybe I can post that on occasion too. Uh, I don't know, but but it's definitely something I'll keep in mind. Uh, so next up is a pair of comments about episode 18, which was Rampage from World's Finest Comics number 301. Uh, the first is from Earth 2 Chris again, who writes. I really recall liking this one as a kid. It was a standalone and a standout in amongst the endless Pantheon, Nolan Void, and other lackluster storylines. If I remember correctly, Mike Chen did some artwork for DC's Who's Who and was one of Rob Kelly's, of the Fire and Water podcast, instructors at the Joe Kubert School. And just to interject real quick, I meant to ask Rob if he, uh, if, if that's true, if he if he was an instructor at the Cuber School, and I didn't, so my apologies for that, Chris. But getting back to Chris's comments, he writes, I really dug the artwork, too. It had a clean, dynamic style, and soups and bats were, quote-unquote, on model. Kind of Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, vibe, as I recall. Chris. And Sphinx actually followed up on that comment with one of his own, writing, I remember Nolan Void, too. I remember they were designed by Ed Hennigan, and I always felt they were trying to tap into the same vein that made Cloak and Dagger such a hit. I remember trying to give the stories an extra chance because they were written by David Anthony Kraft, who did a run of fun stories on The Defenders for a bit. Anyway, this was a very fun episode. Gary Cohn and Dan Mishkin were a pair of fun writers to follow at the time. They were doing some fun work on Blue Devil, and this was another fun story. Did I mention that the story was fun? And I'm going to just chime in here. You did mention it, but that's okay, because I love fun comics. Uh, as might already be evident from you know the past 20-some-odd episodes of the show, generally speaking, 
I'm willing to give more liberties to a weak story if it's a fun read, uh, which uh, I guess that could help explain, you know, my love of the goofy Silver Age stuff. Uh, and I'm not saying you can't tell serious stories or sad stories or dramatic stories in comics, but personally, I read comics to be entertained. So whatever the tone is, whether it's, you know, uh, sad or dramatic or happy or spooky or, or whatever, you know, whatever that tone is, it's got to be fun if I'm going to enjoy it. Uh, but anyway, Sphinx continues. Oh, before I go on, um, I am aware of Nolan Void, and I know they appear in an issue of World's Finest Comics around uh, the same time as, as that issue 301, but I've never read that particular uh, that particular issue. So uh, I'm not sure if I should look forward to that or not. But, <laughs> but anyway, Sphinx continues. If you should choose another story from this era, can I recommend the stories with Amalgamax and the Legion of Super? If you should choose another story from this era, can I recommend the stories with Amalgamax and the Legion of Superheroes, where Jack C. Harris, I think, tries to update the composite Superman? It was, again, fun from what I remember, with art by George Tuska. I don't know if the story would hold up nowadays, but I still remember it fondly. Plus, you know, if you mention it over at the Fire and Water podcast that you're covering the continuing story of the composite Superman, it might cause a download spike for a show that really deserves more attention. Eh, thank you very much, Sphinx. Uh, oh, and he concludes with just thanks again. And thanks, thank you, Sphinx. Uh, the story you are thinking of actually was by Carrie Burkett. Uh, Jaxie Harris was nearly out of comics by that point and never... I don't think he ever wrote the composite Superman that I know of, um, but I would totally agree. In in all seriousness, I would totally agree that the composite Superman deserves more attention. And not to be cryptic, but he's going to get it soon. I promise. Just keep your ears open. Uh, no one commented on episode nineteen, so we'll move on to episode twenty where Charlie Niemeyer came by for a look at The Menace of the Moon Man from World's Finest Comics, number 98. And Earth 2 Chris was the first to comment, and he wrote, Man, that was a fun one. And there's that word again, fun. Uh, but <laughs> Chris's comments continue, I fondly recall this story. I first encountered the Moon Man via the sequel with Lady Lunar, so when I happened across that old back issue of Super... Super Team Family, I felt fulfilled in a way only a geek can. Sprang and Kay's art was in top form, as opposed to your last episode, which I will agree became... Which I will... Hmm. Why don't we just start this this comment over? Uh, Earth 2 Chris writes, Man, that was a fun one. I fondly recall this story. I first encountered the Moon Man via the sequel with Lady Lunar. So, when I happened across that old back issue of Super Team Family, I felt fulfilled in a way only a geek can. Sprang and Kay's art was in top form, as opposed to your last episode, which I agree focused on one of Sprang's weaker efforts. Maybe he was just doing layouts that month. It really was, It's really surprising to me how much the Moon Man looks like Dr. Midnight. At least from the neck up. Seems some folks at DC hadn't forgotten the All-Stars, even though they'd been out of business since 1951. Soups and Bats never seemed to go up 
against too many actual costumed villains in this era, so this story is a standout. It's no doubt influenced many lunar villains that came later, including one on the 70s Filmation Batman cartoon, who I think also was called Moon Man. And you know, Chris, I am shamefully out of touch with the old Filmation cartoons. Uh, I haven't seen a lot of them in years, and I haven't gotten around to picking up the DVDs, so I guess I should uh, get caught up on them at some point. That <laughs> there's, just, there's just so much stuff to watch. Uh, even if you eliminate the non-comic booky uh, movies and TV shows, it, it's just really hard to keep up sometimes, which I know is hashtag first world problems. Uh, but Chris continues, You and Charlie had a good back and forth going on there, and I'm sad to hear he's going to be closing down Superman and the Bronze Age soon, but I completely understand as a busy dad. Love the haka cry. I think you have a new... And don't forget Robin, like Soundbite, Chris. And thanks, Chris. And yeah, I totally agree with you. I will miss Superman in the Bronze Age, too. Uh, But Charlie couldn't be stepping away from the mic for a better reason. And, you know, I have a feeling that Charlie won't be completely absent from the role of podcasting, even if he's not hosting his own regular show anymore. Uh, but just to give an update, and as some of you might already know by now, but Charlie and his wife are now the proud parents of a bouncing baby boy. Uh, Charlie's wife delivered last week. It was a healthy kid, kicking and screaming all the way. So be sure to send some congratulations on uh, on the way to Charlie if, if you have a minute. Uh, and let me take this time to also say congratulations, Charlie and Angie. Uh, I I've seen the pictures on Facebook, and you got one cute kid there, so congratulations. Uh, but getting back to the emails, though, Sphinx Magoo also commented on the commented on the episode, and he writes, "This was a fun episode. Michael and Charlie really played well off each other. One funny synchronicity about this episode was that I had just listened to the Legion of Substitute Podcasters, where they were doing one of their crisis counseling shows." where they would review individual issues of Crisis on Infinite Earths. In the most recent counseling session, they encounter Lady Lunar as she sides with the villains to cause trouble for our heroes. There was some confusion about where she first appeared and some of her personal details, but I remember feeling like there was something intriguing about her. Then, lo and behold, here's you guys discussing the original Silver Age story with the Moon Man with the link to Lady Lunar's appearance in the Bronze Age. It was one great coincidence and another way to help me, help fill me in on this mysterious orange and green villainous. And Sphinx, I would love to say that we planned that, but as is probably painfully obvious from listening to this show and, and other podcasts I've done, I am not anywhere near that coordinated. So glad I could be of service, even though it was a complete and total accident. Uh, but moving on to episode 21, We've got another comment from Earth 2 Chris, once again proving that he was more than worthy of that Haney Award from last time. Um, Episode 21 was Prison for Heroes, which is another story where I wasn't completely kind to it. Uh, I guess I wasn't completely unkind, but I did have several negative comments, particularly about a set of characters in the story. And Chris... Uh, maybe a little change of pace. Chris kind of agrees with me this time out. So he writes, Right on about Johnny Cash, brother. And, and 
I played Johnny Cash at the end of the episode because it was about prison, so I had to play Folsom Prison Blues. I about said that Superman never killed anybody, but, you know, he snapped Zod's neck just to watch him die, I guess. I don't know. Anyway, into Chris's comments. Right on about Johnny Cash, brother. It seems odd that Hamilton did just phone in these heroes. You'd think Weisinger would have looked at this as another chance to plant some seeds worth sowing, much like the Legion and other concepts throughout his run as super editor. Loved the bit from The Adventures of Superman, where Soups leaves that crooked couple on the Arctic Mountain. I never try, I never get tired of being reminded of that one. It's such a stark contrast to Superman's wholesome image. Well, the one he used to have, anyway. Another fun one, Chris. And thank you very much, Chris. For me, you know, I don't really care that we never saw these guys again. I mean, yeah, they could have used it to sow seeds for a new team or a new, you know, somewhat recurring set of characters, but that didn't bug me as much as them being complete knockoffs of established Legionnaires. Uh, I realize I might get flack for this, but it's kind of obvious that a lot of Legion characters were created from their powers. I mean, yeah, they were given personalities and character later, but the genesis of a lot of them in the very beginning was a power or ability that was unique from the others. So in the Silver Age, you've got several Legionnaires with just a stock power, you know, lightning or heat or cold or, you know, growing big or growing or shrinking down or whatever. And here we had the same thing. You know, it, it just it just reeked of a lack of imagination or hasty writing. Uh, but still, I mean, the story overall, I guess, was okay. But it just, I don't know. Hamilton should and, and could have been a lot more creative in, you know, coming up with those characters. Uh, but Chris also commented on the following episode, number 22, which was Beasts of Plague from World's Finest Comics, number 277. And Chris wrote, Hey, Michael. You are much kinder to Don Heck than most DC fans. Heck's work often looked rushed and somewhat phoned in during this period, but I think it may be that Heck, much like Kurt Swan, has a much more illustrative style than was suitable for some inkers. In other words, they didn't know how to handle his artwork correctly. I don't remember much about this story, but I do remember that weird Batman body condom. Oddly enough, Heck drew a Robin slash Batgirl story in Batman Family that featured the dynamic duo in similar protective gear just a few years prior. It guest starred Kid Flash, as I recall. And I'm just going to stop and say I have no idea what story that is, but seeing Batman in a getup like that once was enough. So I'm just going to take your word for it. Uh, but Chris's comment continues, Hey, where's that Hembeck cartoon you promised? Oh, and please put the dogs back. Another fun one, Chris. And thank you, Chris. And sorry, I completely forgot about posting the Hembeck strip when it came time to do the show notes. And worse off, for some reason, WordPress didn't alert me about this particular comment. And, and In fact, I didn't even know that anyone had left a comment until I went to compile the feedback for this mailbag episode, uh, and now it's a little late to be posting it, but next time I come across a Hembeck strip, I will try to be sure and remember to post it. Uh, 
Maybe I'll even post it twice. <laughs> but thanks again for the feedback, Chris. And that's where we're going to cut it off on the episode-by-episode episode comments. We will pick it up with episode 23 next time, and, and as well as any other comments that come in from previous episodes. But before we move on to iTunes reviews, I've got one more email, which comes from a listener by the name of Dylan. And this is actually part of a longer email, but I'm just going to edit it down to the show relevant bits. Uh, but Dylan wrote, Thank you, Michael, for a great podcast. But that's really an understatement. You, now this is a little bit of a stretch, uphold the legacy of the world's finest heroes in their most classic or most recent ways. And as a minor modern-day comic book reader, it's great that you read and tell them in such an enjoyable way. That being said, I love the classics. Although I'm only a kid, just got out of the tweens, my favorite decade in history are from first to second, the 80s and the 70s. Honestly, both my parents and my friends don't know why I do and tell me to, quote, get with the times, unquote. But I keep rolling along on this soul train. Anyway, to get back on point, I have multiple books in the Showcase Presents series, and one, World's Finest Number 4, was even on the show. I thought that story sounded very familiar. I'm very thankful for the, yet again, understated, great podcast. And thank you very much, Dylan. You know, it's really great to hear that there are younger folks reading comics these days, especially the older material that was likely published before they were even born. Um, the average age of a comic book reader these days seems to be in the mid-30s, and that's really not decreasing as time goes on. Um, I have a niece and a nephew. Uh, my nephew's in high school, and my niece is uh, a quote-unquote tween, I guess you would say, and I've had no luck getting either one of them interested in reading comic books. Uh, my niece is a voracious reader, but mostly of prose books rather than comic books. So it's it, it's just really good to know that there are younger folks reading comics these days. Uh, so thanks again for the kind words, Dylan. If you want to hear other folks talking about books from the 70s and 80s, be sure to check out some of the the uh, shows I play promos for in regular episodes, especially Superman in the Bronze Age and Uncovering the Bronze Age, which both cover books that would be right in your wheelhouse. Uh, so that's it for the emails and website comments. So now we're going to shift over to iTunes, where reviews have slowed down a little bit, but there's a couple, or, or at least one. Uh, there's actually only one with comments, because it, it looks like a couple people rated the show without leaving comments, which, that's good too, you know, I, any rating helps. So, this comment comes from Hawk Carr, and that's a, uh, a really good Golden Age reference, or late Golden Age reference, for those who, who uh, understand the story, or know what story that is referencing. Uh, but Hawk Carr's review is five stars, and reads, A fine presentation of the world's finest. I was always a fan of the world's finest team from my earliest discovery of comic books in the early 1960s. This show, with its random look at Superman-Batman team-ups ranging from the Golden Age on up, is an interesting overview of those stories in different eras of comics. Host Michael Bradley is clearly a passionate fan of the characters and a close observer of the writers and artists who have presented them over the decades, and he has an engaging style. He does his research and it shows and when he has co-hosts, he obviously enjoys sharing the show with them. This show is on my regular listening list, and I've told friends about it too. And, wow, 
what a phenomenal review that was. Uh, so thank you very, very much, Hawk Carr. Uh, I really do appreciate it. Not just the kind words and the review, but also telling other folks about the show. Um, I, I think I've said before on this particular podcast, and if not here, then definitely on other ones, but I'm a big believer that word of mouth is the best way to get folks interested in the show, uh, whether it's one that I host or one that I enjoy. So, you know, that, that's really, really awesome of you, Hawk, and I, I just I, I thank you so very, very much. Uh, but that's it for feedback this time around. We're going to take a quick break. I'm going to play something. I, I don't know what it is. The mailback episodes, instead of playing promos, it's usually going to be something kind of random. But as going with the random, I don't really know what it's going to be. So you're going to be surprised just like I am. But we'll be right back after this. To stop the evil doomsday, you need a hero who's more than a man. He's been called the greatest, the strongest, the first among heroes. High voltage villain Conduit is powered by Kryptonite, but with Krypton cannon blasting, laser Superman powers him down. Conduit will learn, don't mess with the S. It's the dreaded Doomsday, the most fearsome force in the universe. Even Doomsday will learn, you don't mess with the S. Superman figures each sold separately, blocks not included. Like the first mailbag episode, I received a lot of great feedback this time. Um, I really expected this mailbag episode to be a little shorter than the last one, but I've already been recording uh, for, looks like, nearly an hour at this point, and I've still got a little ways to go, even though all the feedback is done. So, you know, once again, thank you so much for all the great feedback. Uh, But as I explained in the first mailbag episode, I'm a greedy, greedy guy and I want more feedback. So as a way of prompting more feedback, I've instituted the Haney Award. Named after the one and only Bob Haney, who wrote more Superman and Batman team-up stories than anyone, the Haney Award is given to the listener who goes above and beyond in their efforts towards feedback for the show. Someone who raises the bar as a listener or whose efforts and actions are truly inspired or in some other way worthy of extra recognition. Now, because I'm cheap, there's no actual physical prize in connection with the Haney. However, you do get the satisfaction of knowing that you won. And as I'm sure Earth 2 Chris, who won the first Haney Award, will attest, that's better than any physical or monetary prize anyway. So, the winner of the second Haney Award is... Sphinx Magoo. Sphinx was a frequent commenter this time out, but what really tipped the scale when it came time to pick the winner was that I really liked Sphinx's comments about the Superman-Batman split. Uh, I thought he really hit the nail on the head about just why the story didn't work and why, at the end of the day, it was such a letdown in that it was just a case of so many missed opportunities when you get all those characters together in one story. Um, It was clear the Sphinx really put a lot of thought into it, chewed over the story, and really drilled down and took it piece by piece and dissected it to find out, you know, exactly why it didn't work. So congratulations, Sphinx, our second winner of the oh-so-prestigious Haney Award. As always, don't let it go to your head. But that's it for this time. 
Folks, I want to thank everyone who wrote in or left feedback at the website or an iTunes review or, you know, just mentioned in passing as we were talking maybe elsewhere on Facebook or, you know, wherever that you enjoy the show. Without listeners, you know, I've said this before, but without listeners, a podcast is just kilobytes on a server. And without feedback from those listeners, a host can feel like he's just talking into space. So I'm really honored to have such a great group of listeners and really enjoy getting the feedback. So even though we're closing up the mailbag for now, I want to encourage you to keep writing in. The contact info, as always, is in the end tag. Um, I'm not sure exactly when the next feedback episode will be. I'll, I'll definitely have one before the end of the year, and I hope to be able to read your comments and email and website posts in that. So be sure to send your thoughts on future episodes as well as past ones if you're listening through the back catalog. I'd really love to hear from you. And, you know, don't be afraid to get creative because that Haney Award isn't going to win itself. But that's it for now. Thanks again to everyone who wrote in, and I will talk to you all next time. Goodbye. There must be some word today from my boyfriend so far away. Please, Mr. Postman, look and see. listening to Superman and Batman, hosted by me, Michael Bradley. Feedback can be sent to michael at greatcrypton.com. I love hearing from listeners, so be sure to send your comments, questions, and other feedback, and I will likely read that on a future episode. Show notes, information, and back episodes can be found at greatcrypton.com. Be sure to follow the show via Facebook and Twitter, and subscribe via iTunes or RSS feed so that you never miss an episode. If you subscribe via iTunes, be sure to leave a review. Not only does it help others find the show, but I'd love to read that in a future episode as well. Superman and Batman is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, home to many great Superman-related podcasts. Be sure to pay them a visit at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Batman was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger, and both characters are copyright DC Comics. For more about Superman's creators, be sure to visit my blog, Siegel and Schuster Mythmakers, at greatcrypton.com slash Schuster, where I commemorate the lives, works, and legacies of Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. I want to thank you again very much for listening and invite you to come back next time for another episode of Superman and Batman. Featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. The closing song for this episode was Please Mr. Postman by The Carpenters from their 1975 album, Horizon. If you like this song or other music heard in the show, support the artist by buying the music. And the best way to do that is by visiting 2TrueFreaks.com. Click on the banner in the upper left corner of the site and be redirected to Amazon.com. Buy an MP3 or physical copy of the song, and 2 True Freaks will get a little kickback on every purchase. So not only will you get good music, but you'll be helping out some of the hardest working folks in podcasting. 
And best of all, it won't cost you anything extra. Goodbye.